Hello, and welcome to episode 98 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. It's November, and that means we're giving thanks for Hanks as we continue our annual celebration of T. Hanksgiving, an appreciation of all things Tom Hanks. This year, we're appreciating a different side of Tom Hanks as we watch his 1996 directorial and screenwriting debut, That Thing You Do, starring Tom Everett Scott, Liv Tyler, Steve Zahn, and of course, Tom Hanks. This movie has been a big part of Ryan's childhood, but I've never seen it, so I've got the opportunity to fill in one of my Hanks blind spots. That Thing You Do was a modest hit in almost every sense of the word. Critics were mostly positive, appreciating it as a nice time, but not much more than that. It earned more than its budget back in the box office, but not much more. And That Thing You Do earned songwriter Adam Schlesinger an Oscar nomination, the film's only nod. Not many people saw it, but the song got enough airplay that enough people who haven't seen the movie recognize it. Its legacy seems mainly to be another entry into the likability of Tom Hanks, a testament to his ability to write, direct, and produce on top of his already famous acting, and as a movie people remember enjoying Once Upon a Time. But are glossy, nostalgic remembrances enough of a tea Thanksgiving feast? Or do we need to tell Mr. White, I, I quit watching that thing you do after I saw it as an adult and realized that it wasn't as good as I remember. Keep listening. Keep it peppy. Keep it snappy. They're all locals. They call you home. The Oneiders. That's the wonders. scene that changed it all for the wonders when uh, guy patterson their fill-in drummer played by tom everett scott decided things needed to be a little bit snappier yeah i mean hard to fade that one out I, you just it's just, just got to keep, keep listening yeah. to it yeah. especially because they're, they're getting into the rhythm of it right the, right we little... kind of faded it's a bit of a tease we just gave the yeah. listener because we faded it out just as it was getting good yeah yeah, and uh, you know Steve Zahn plays Lenny, who's the guitarist who's down with the the speed change, and uh, Jonathan Shack playing Jimmy wants to try to fight the the. He tempo. really loves that lovers lament crap. He does. He so, does. Yeah. You know, it's it's hard for him, I think, to get with the tempo. Yeah, and it's hard to have somebody change your song. Right. So hey. Happy T Thanksgiving. Happy T Thanksgiving. Yeah. This feels so good. It does it, feel good. I, I love celebrating this because it's just feel good it yeah. just feels great to celebrate tom hanks and I, think. I i i say this sincerely it is such a good transition for me from the lunacy of halloween mm-hmm. 
to the the hopefully meaningful Thanksgiving season. Uh, just the last few years, we've done tea Thanksgiving, and it is such a good mind shift. It is into yeah. the uh, the holidays to come. Right. Yeah. So, you know, uh, any listeners who are new with us this year, you should definitely go back to those archives and listen to our past tea Thanksgiving episodes. We did a, a castaway, castaway episode. And then and, uh, League of Their Own. This League is only our own. third tea Thanksgiving. But they've always been, well, the two we've done, and I'm assuming this one's going to be, a, you know, no Here's exception. Yeah. Uh, it, it, they've just been great times to celebrate. I think with Tom Hanks. An American you know, treasure. Me, exactly. American treasure. But even just especially for the two of us growing up, really knowing Tom Hanks our entire lives, yep. really, in the yeah, movies. Absolutely. And not just knowing, but having a, a really unique fondness yeah. that I don't know that I have for... I'm trying to think if you really have that for any other actor that's been around as long with us through our lives. I, you know? I mean, I don't, I don't know if there is one, but I will say that I feel like I, I lost how appreciative I was of him. I remember our first Tea Thanksgiving episode, my wife was listening to it. She said, I didn't know you loved Tom Hanks this much. Right, right. I don't not, know that I knew I loved him we were as ever, much. We were never that vocal about, I don't yeah. think. And I think it was just an idea for that one year, and we really enjoyed doing it. Yeah. And it became, uh, it's becoming a tradition. Yeah. I mean, for me, even one of my earliest movie memories is like, my mom bringing home Turner and Hooch to yep. watch on, oh, on, on VHS. I agree, you know? yeah. And so there's like young Tom Hanks. There's the Tom Hanks we know right now, which mid can kind of just 90s. do anything. Yeah. And you're just sort of like, oh, that's Tom Hanks. And the know? mid to late 90s Tom Hanks, whereas like stardom was really established. Exactly, and, yeah. yeah. So, so I, you know, as was previewed in our last episode uh, with this movie, That Thing You Do, yeah. this was a very rare hanks blind spot for me not rare in the sense that i've seen everything tom hanks has been in because i haven't especially these later years yeah, but there's yeah. it's just really rare for there to be a hanks from this period right. of hanks that i had not seen right. so i am so excited to uh well i did fill the gap and i've watched the movie yeah, but i'm to excited dig to, to, to dig into this and we yeah. should also say just you know out of courtesy to Tom Hanks. He also uh, just yesterday for released for a movie. Us now, right? Yeah, for a show or is it a movie? It's a movie. Yeah, on Apple TV. Uh, yeah, called Finch. Finch. Yeah, and uh, haven't seen it. Don't have Apple TV. Uh, I don't either. But uh, like a post-apocalyptic yeah. one about a him yeah. and a dog or something. And a robot. Like that. And a robot. Yeah. yeah. So we would be remiss if we if we didn't offer that sort of uh, box office bump uh, and 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 kind let, of, you know let our listeners uh, yeah. say, go check Remind that out. Go check, check that, that out. Check yeah. that movie out. Do, do Hanks a favor. He's yeah. he's definitely earned it. Yeah, and I don't know. I I don't know how many. Uh, I'm sure he's he's probably the king of November because he's the king of every month. Uh, but the Tom Hanks movie coming out in November just feels right. It does. It really does. It does. Was, wasn't there a was there one last year too or two years ago? I, mean, oh, I feel like yeah, we've had I'm this sure. conversation I'm before sure. during yeah. one of our T Thanksgivings. Yeah, where, I think uh, I think the Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood came out around yeah. uh, November. Well, yeah, it seems like he seems like he's always got something. He's got something coming out, sort of in that lead up to the movies that come out around the holidays that aren't really holiday movies, but they're just the movies that the studios are assuming families are together. They're going to go see this movie. But yeah, that thing you do is uh, it's it's interesting that it's a blind spot for you because it's such a it's it's kind of up there with Apollo thirteen for me of the Tom Hanks movies I watched on repeat. 
Well, and this was, I mean, the what? year after. Yeah, I mean, this was like back to back Apollo. 13. I mean, this is peak Tom Hanks. Yeah, because Forrest Gump was right before that. I it believe. Was, yeah, I mean, um, Philadelphia was just before that. Right. A League of Their Own was just before that. Right. I mean, oh, it right. was, we could go on and on. Yeah, we yeah. could. <laughs> uh, Toy Story was just before wow. that thing you do. Yeah. So this, was, this really is just prime peak Tom Hanks. Yeah. Period. And yeah. the fact that we didn't get tired of him, I think that's one of the things mm. that really, mm-hmm. you know, you can't be cynical about Tom Hanks. I don't no. know anybody who is. No. And what's really interesting to me about we just listed off all those movies they're all very like quintessential of course those are tom hanks roles Mm -hmm. um because they all seem like they're kind of within the same wheelhouse but they're not the same characters no like they they, somehow he is able to still have huge range right and yet still always be tom hanks right and how does you how does anyone do that even when he first shows up as mr white in this movie i was sort of like it was it there's something it's not the same yeah exactly that and he not... doesn't even say anything the first time. Like he, <laughs> right. he they just show him, and or he just shows himself, I guess. And uh, I was just like, "This is a different thing." I, I had forgotten mm-hmm. his presence as Mister White in this movie is so different from his presence in all the other movies we just named. Yeah, I mean, maybe the closest would maybe be a League of Their Own, but he's not a drunk. Like, yeah, but I just but mean like even. that sort of like he's someone who's guy who knows who's the trying world. to who's trying who's yeah and he's trying to gather these people together yeah and, and make something of it right you know yeah uh, but not the same character at no. all um and so yeah so i i'll start then with my first viewing since i already talked about how being a, a big a big part of my childhood i yeah. don't remember i remember it was probably like a good morning america because that was the show in our house and this and is 96 96 yeah um seeing stuff coming out about that thing you do, hearing that Tom Hanks was directing it and seeing interviews and stuff and seeing the clips and it looked like fun. I didn't see it in theaters, but I did, you know, rent it pretty soon after. And I I just I really liked it. I liked the song. I the movie brought me along. I I, I like I thought it was funny. I just I really liked all so of how, it. So how how old would you have been? I would have been about twelve. Yeah. And, and it's a PG uh, movie. 11 or, 11 so, or 12. You know, right. Family friendly yeah. for the most part. Yeah. And uh and it was just one that I would I would get from you know Blockbuster or whatever mm-hmm. pretty frequently. And um, there's no way my family watched movies with me as much as I watched movies. I don't think <laughs> so. I I but I do. I, I feel like I have memories of watching it just in an afternoon. You know, like watching it on my own, just really enjoying the movie. I don't know. It's not a movie that connected me to anybody. I don't have memories of like I'm sure my family watched it with mm-hmm. me at some point. Yeah. I'm sure I made them if they didn't. Because I really liked it, but it's not one that I have friends that I remember watching it or anything. It's just a movie that if, it's a very personal movie to, in that in that sense. That yeah, like yeah. I my feelings for it are my own. I don't associate them with anybody else. Yeah. And uh, no, you, you know, you eventually did play in bands, become a musician. Mm-hmm. Now, did this movie? This is what this movie's about. Did, yeah. did this ever kind of come into play? I as wonder. far as like, did you ever I, think of yourself never, like I'm the Jimmy or I'm the, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm the <laughs> no? I never made I never made that sort of connection. Um, and I, I I kind of stopped watching the movie. Even it probably it would have even been just like three years later, three or four years yeah. later. So I don't. Th- I, I had never made that connection, but I'm sure there is something about the the two are connected in some way that i liked being in bands partly because of this movie but i also liked this movie because i had a real interest in music and something about it just really clicked with me yeah um but yeah i haven't seen it since then it's been yeah it's been really it's not been even a, once like through college through maybe, like maybe like on maybe, tv or maybe you know. i don't know i don't i don't recall really well, then I'm kind of excited to talk about this with you too, because it, to me, that that's a, that's its own type of viewing experience too, that I've had a little bit 
having kids where there's movies I watched a ton as a kid and didn't watch at all. Mm -hmm. And then had only watched within like the last year or so. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's an interesting experience to do that. So I'll be excited to hear how that was for you. Yeah. And so you hadn't watched it, but you were aware of it. Like, I know you knew the song. What was... I was very aware of it. In fact, to me, it was always one of those that it wasn't really ever avoided for any reason other than it just, I just always kept missing it. Like, this strangely seems like a movie that I'm surprised we didn't go see it in the theater. My mom used to love, she loves Tom Hanks. Mm -hmm. She she used to love taking us to the movies. Um, I had seen like everything. We just listed off all those movies. Like, you know, I'd seen all that stuff. I had seen all that stuff in the theater. You know what? I and I could just be a really sort of unreliable narrator here, and this is just my memory, like trying to make sense of this. But I do somewhat vaguely feel like I had seen so many Tom Hanks movies that I liked that I kind of felt like he's gonna have a miss eventually. <laughs> and I remember and you didn't want to be there for it, kind of. But I also remember that, like, I do remember seeing the preview for this movie mm-hmm. and never really feeling like, like I didn't know, I didn't think it was gonna be that good. And how old were you? You were 14? Yeah, well, what was this? 13? Uh, 96? 96, so I would have been 13. But I do remember feeling like I didn't like the title of the movie. Hmm. And I was very aware of the song. The song was all over the preview. Yeah. And it was a very catchy song. I feel like you only have to hear it once or twice, and you oh, know yeah. it. You know it for the rest of your life. That's, right. That's, <laughs> right. that's just how much of an earworm this thing is, you know, mm-hmm. which we will definitely have to get into. Um but yeah, I, you know, I, I don't have much more to say than that other than that. I feel like for me, it was a movie that came and went. Well, yeah. I mean, I feel like middle school was a big gap and this was just before middle school for me. And I think that made a difference because I look at middle school and that was when, and this was partly just my group of friends. We watched a lot of Bond movies, Yeah, but we also watched like Robin Hood Men in Tights and Austin, mm. Austin Powers. Mm-hmm. And like, that was like, once you're in middle school, that's the sort of stuff that you that go could and be find. it too. This was and a little too squeaky clean. Is, yeah. It was a little too... It wasn't transgressive. It wasn't, it, yeah, it wasn't edgy enough. <laughs> yeah. You know? I Yeah. And I was just thinking, why why do I have these movies that I remember watching repeatedly from like that time period? And I think a big reason is because we had to pay to rent them. We had them for the, you know, five, oh, yeah. three or, you three or five days. It. So yeah. you're going to watch it. Whereas now if I get it from the library, I just return it right away. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to, don't want to stretch the, yeah. the due date or anything. And then with streaming, nothing feels urgent. Yeah. And, and that's so, true. I remember like, yeah, when you had something rented, I, I probably would watch everything I rented like twice. Yeah. Probably. Usually. That's yeah. true. I never even thought about that till now. Yeah. I, I didn't either. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think did. that was I a did. big difference. Yeah. And that's, a, I think that's, I think that's really something that's lost with streaming in my own not no, just right. not yeah. just repeating, but like there's stuff that I would love to see, but I don't get to it because there's no reason not like there's no reason that I have to watch it today. Right, you you'll get to it eventually, right. but eventually never and then it really just piles comes. up. Right, yeah. yeah, man, boy. All right, let's get back to the movie here. So now you've seen it. Yeah. What uh, What was that like? So you want? Should I go? first? Yeah, then? go ahead so and go, go first. Go? So it's, yeah, I don't. It's your first viewing. I don't so have an original Letterboxd the... rating, right? But on our our uh, five star scale from mm-hmm. Letterboxd, um, I would I would give this a four star. Okay. I really enjoyed myself with this. All this right. was a really fun movie. I and and actually like kind of what I needed right now. I mm-hmm. feel like like not of course because it's tea hanksgiving of course and and november just feels right for tea hanksgiving exactly there's just uh yeah you know i i i'm coming off the cusp of all these horror movies i had been watching yeah you really do october i I do, I do it hard yeah and and then also just stresses of life things going on and this is a movie that i think can i'm not sure be, what you're referring to but go ahead 
I guess nobody's stressed but me. Yeah, but this, let me just take it from me. Yeah, it's not fun to feel stressed, stressed out. Okay. Uh, okay. I know you've never really felt it before. No, I don't. Yeah. Um, but for me, uh, stress has kind of become something that's up. built okay. up. And and for instance, I'll take your word for yeah, it. For, so 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 all, all that to say that I think this movie can really easily become something that's just a great way to tune out for a little bit and have a lot of fun mm-hmm. and just feel good about life for mm-hmm. a while. It's just good for that. And you, it's great to have movies like that. Yeah, I'm really glad to hear you say that. I I was nervous watching it again. And uh, Kelsey said the same thing. Like She was sort of like, oh, I don't know how this is going to go. Cause we, well, it's not a perfect movie, and we no, can get into that. we'll get into that for sure. But I didn't know. I I knew there were cheesy things about it, and you got you can't fully trust your twelve and thirteen year old sensibilities. <laughs> That's true. And so, um, I was I was a little nervous watching it uh, to get it started. But actually, Kelsey's parents were staying with us last night, and uh, Kelsey was grateful it wasn't Silence of the Lambs night at our house <laughs> and, again. Yeah, <laughs> third night in a row was <laughs> a little much. Stop it. Um, <laughs> But it was the perfect movie to watch with parents, like that's two, true. you yeah. know. Yep. And my original Letterboxd rating was three and a half. Okay. And I think that was, you know, just sort of not trusting my. That sounds like a memory. A little, tem- uh, a little yeah. tempered, yeah. And I, uh, you know, I, I really, I really enjoyed it. I was so glad, just like you said, I was so glad to watch it again. We were all laughing throughout, like we were. I was with it. Yes, I, I laughed was, a lot more at this. Than I thought I would, it's, and laughing at really innocent things. Right. That I'm like, how is this making me laugh? It's just because funny. It, yes, it is. But there has to be a really skilled hand on that to be able to pull off the laughs in some of the stuff that's actually happening. Because when right. you just talk about what's going on in that scene, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't like the most funny dialogue you've right. ever heard. This isn't even the it's most not funny situation. Tremendously you've ever heard. quotable. No, like because it's in the movie that it's funny. Yes, and so I was, I was just really glad to watch it again, and really glad to know that it still gets me. I still get it. I mean, I wouldn't. I think it's like four stars for me. I don't know if it's like four and a half because it's not a perfect movie. But as far as a viewing experience, it's just. I, I it it's something that now I'm glad I watched it because it is something I'll, I'll probably return to just as sort of like yeah. a. I, I would be happy to watch this movie when I have nothing else to watch or sure. when I just need this, like This sounds like something. an amazing sick day movie. Absolutely. Like mm-hmm. next time I'm sick, hopefully it's not too soon, but next time I'm sick and I'm just like home, not yeah. feeling too well and just have to watch TV. Yeah. It's not like the old days where I would throw on Price is Right and Bob Barker, right. you know, <laughs> but uh, I feel like as long as this is on Hulu, which is how I watched it, like mm-hmm. this would be a great one to just throw on. Yeah. Just know? find it someplace. Well, great. I'm glad to hear that. I was nervous as I was watching it because it's like the cheesiness was coming through. I'm like, if you're not with this movie, it's not going to, that's not going to. Well, here's, okay. So I'm going to say that what helps this movie uh, tremendously, a lot of stuff, it comes together great. I'm sure we'll get into all of it. But for me, it sets the tone right off the bat perfectly. Yeah. And I think it sets a very Tom Hanks tone. I, ex- because, I was going to say that. Because uh, it opens right up with these small town shots of mm-hmm. Erie, Pens- well, in the movie Erie, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And I think, I'm, I don't think this is a real song. I think this was also one recorded for the movie. It's called Loving You Lots and Lots by the Norm Wooster Singers, if you look at the actual like uh, yeah. uh, soundtrack. It reminds me of how Big Lebowski opens up with Tumbling Tumbleweeds. Mm-hmm. And like it's that old folksy country harmonized pop song that you would have heard from the 40s and 50s. Uh, and then this is where I think the Tom Hanks 
oozes through mm-hmm. because we know he loves like typewriters yep. and things like that. It's just stuff. It's just like artifacts. Yes. So it's these artifacts over this old music over, and it's just like, it puts you right into the place you need to be. And the place it's putting you in is a place that's like nostalgia. It's retro, it's vintage. Um, it's all that stuff, but it's also kind of letting, setting you up for, this is the sort of like, down home Lawrence Welk ish mm-hmm. town that yeah. you know this big rock song is going to come from. You are the winter, fall, and spring. You are the sun that summertime brings. You are the stars in the nighttime sky. You are my girl, and I'm your guy. You got me all tied up in knots, and I'm loving you lots and lots. I'm just loving you lots and lots. I'm loving you lots and lots. Yeah. And, and so even though the rock song itself, hearing it now doesn't sound too revolutionary, yeah. it sounds crazy in that small town that right. Tom Hanks has already spent a lot of good, concise time exactly getting you set up for. Yeah. And so just seeing like the old washing machines and the old radios and the and it's just like, oh. So it creates is, a know. tension and a stakes that are important to making the movie work, but aren't anything too tense yeah. or too high stakes and just enjoyable to watch right you know and this is this is coming from me someone who likes to watch antiques roadshow right <laughs> so, like, so you've got so somebody but, but stuff, so you've got you know? somebody like guy's dad who is you know he's not with rock and roll but he is no he, you know he's not oppressive he's not right. like anything that that guy has to get out from under you know like just somebody who thinks rock and roll is not worth it. Right. You know? And so he doesn't lean too heavily into any of the rough stuff. And he leans just hard enough on the on the poppy, like, fun stuff of it. And I looked back at some of the reviews that weren't fully positive. And I think the, the worst thing anybody had to say was that, it, you know, the 60s weren't that glossy. You know? Of course. And it's of like... Of course. Like... Don't we all know that's that? That's not though? the story he's telling. Yeah, you exactly. know, and and people didn't know Tom Hanks the way they know him now. Yeah, I feel like this movie, where it was coming from, was sort of like uh, okay in 1996. But now, knowing, like you said, the typewriter stuff, the fact that in every interview he gives now, he'll break into some old song, he'll talk about some old yeah. TV show. You can see his influences retroactively, like. Now, this is absolutely the first movie Tom Hanks would make. <laughs> so, so much, yeah. And, and it doesn't mean that Tom Hanks is Pollyanna no, or like naive. No, there's a realistic edge to the business stuff that happens too. The whole movie, if you really think about it, is cynical. Because it's right. all about this very common story of the mm-hmm. one-hit wonder. Yeah, And Tom Hanks is basically just saying, that is life. Like, yeah. that's life. Life is not you know, full of superstars and lifelong yeah. musicians that get to do whatever they want for the rest of their lives. You know, right. that, it's not that naive. Right. But to me, what is really Tom Hanks about this is, and this is not just me sort of like armchair psychoanalyzing Tom Hanks. This is actually what he said. If you look at, there's a, on the website, The Ringer, there's an oral history of that thing you do. Hmm. And he talks about how in this movie, he didn't want any bad guys, no bad guys. He's like, I want people who, um, don't always do the right thing, yeah. can sometimes be jerks. But he's like, I always think it's more interesting when people do bad things, but you understand why they're doing them. Mm. And to me, like this is that thing you do in a nutshell because yeah. they could have made a very different movie with even any one yeah, of these yeah. characters. Yeah. I don't want to get too far ahead, but you know, the way the band dissolves and everything, they could have made that, they could have played that oh, yeah. for a lot more drama. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't see a need to. 
because the cynicism that doesn't actually have to play like cynicism is, well, we could play this up for drama, but this happens all the time. Right. People move on. Right. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And, like, and it's not it's not taking itself so seriously that anybody's life is over when the totally. band breaks up. And 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 his character stereotypically and traditionally is the jerk character right. that's going to screw the band over. Right. And he had, he never actually pretends like this is a character that doesn't care about money. Right. That's always what is at the forefront of his mind is how can I make the most out of this band? Yeah. And I don't even know but that. he also does want the band to succeed. But he wants the band to succeed. But he wants succeed. the band to succeed because it's his job to make them succeed. And he wants them to succeed in his way. Like right. you notice that he really isn't that interested in getting them into the next to the studio for the next album right, right away or right. anything or, or figuring out what the next single is going to be. Yeah. Because he knows this is a guy of business. This is how it works. This yeah. is how it works. This band may or may not make it. If they make it, great. If they don't, whatever. We'll find right. the next one. Right. You know? And this band got to have a good time while they were doing it. And you as know? we see the story of them getting a better and better spot in the, you know, going from playing the daytime spot of the state fairs to playing the last spot of the state fairs, yeah. we see Diane Dane, that character, yep. drop. And like, yeah. but it's not. It's not digging so far into it. It doesn't ruin the vibe of the movie, but it also doesn't sugarcoat the whole experience that they've got. Right. And that's actually kind of what makes this movie unique, because I think what's the kind of tired thing in music biopics and music movies is to turn all of them into tragedy. Yeah. They always are tragedy. Right. They all follow the very same arc, you know? Which is, yeah, which is what, like, Walk Hard is parody. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, but there's, great, there's, no, there's no place for um, that thing you do in a movie like Walk Hard, because it's just, it's not playing that sort of game. It's just... No. And uh, the fact that it's a fictional band helps a ton, yeah. obviously. But in a way, like, those movies are trying to somehow humanize these stars who we don't know as real people we just know them as their personas so they say like actually it's all tragic behind that veneer and this movie is trying to say how could we actually tell a story of human beings doing this and like sets out to do that by making nobody a villain by making nobody a hero yeah but um i want to take a step back a little bit we need to organize ourselves but i first want to tell you that yes loving you lots and lots was written by for the movie and it was written by tom hanks he wrote the music too he the the credit is only written by Tom Hanks, and then there are other songs. So, loving you lots and lots, I can hear the children laughing, and La Señora de Dos Costas, which are the the two other songs that we hear at the Battle of the Bands. Tom Hanks is the sole credit. Oh, the sole writing credit, and then for that guy, Mr. What, what can't that Mister Downtown do? Voyage around the heart uh, around the moon, like the songs written for the people in the Playtone Galaxy, he has co writers, yeah. Gary Getzman and Mike Piccarillo. Um, co-wrote those with him so as far as i can tell he single-handedly wrote three of the songs for the movie and then all of the wonder songs were written by adam schlesinger, adam schlesinger. schlesinger. Yeah. so that's just one of the ways that we've got like this is such a tom hanks project like <laughs> well for sure i mean yeah. obviously we were saying the sensibility but that this was just a movie that he really seemed to want to make. Yeah. And uh, if we're talking credits, we've got Tak Fujimoto, who was the, yes. the DP on, on uh, Silence, Silence of the Lambs. Of Lambs. And uh, Jonathan Demi was a producer, producer on this movie. And did you know 
I, there's something else that I know I'm missing. And you're oh, this is say great. It. This is a great. This is perfect since we just did Silence of the Lambs and talked about how great Jonathan Demme is as a director. He's the director, He's the director. Oh, of yeah. the Shrimp Shack movie. That's right. Uh, That's right. What was the name of the the the, like, the band in that? The band was. Uh, <laughs> Captain Geach and the Shrimp Shack Shooters. <laughs> right, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jonathan Demi's the one yelling out the 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 different orders to that's the right. cast and the dancers and that's the right. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember. I saw that. So so Tom Hanks wrote this movie sort of like when he was on the press circuit for all these other great movies that he was yeah. in. He would kind of be writing this thing as a way to kind of get his mind out of it, doing something creative while he was just doing press, basically. Yeah. And he had never really written much before, but. It's a really well-written movie overall. First so, of all, yeah. and the dialogue's great. He would give his notes and his drafts to Nora Ephron. Yeah, I'm guessing he had a lot of people who he could ask to put yeah. eyes on it. Nora Ephron, like, I guess. I mean, she's not like credited at all, you know. But he's credited as the sole writer, I believe. Yeah. But you know, uh, but she would be like, "This is where you should trim it back. You need to kind of mm-hmm. focus a little less on this character. You don't need that. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. The stuff that you know helps someone shape things into something." Yeah. And then what I think is really smart that they did was um, Jonathan Demme knew he was willing to produce it. He loved to do table reads, I guess. And at the beginning, when they were trying to gather who would be interested in this, or they were trying to see if anybody would be interested in making this movie, they didn't put Tom Hanks' name on the script, just to see if it actually held its own mm. as a script by a no-name. Interesting. You know, which I think is really smart. That is um, really smart. You can check out that article I told you, the oral history on yeah, the we'll Ringer website. link to that great. in the show notes. Yeah. Um, so we've, we just kind of gushed about a whole lot. Um, so can we focus in a little bit? What are what are the things that like kind of work for you with this movie? Kind of piece by piece, what's what's happening here? And maybe uh, this would be a good spot to bring in uh, some listener feedback from our, our friend Tim, who really likes this movie and had some thoughts about that. So let's hear from him and then we'll kick things off. Yeah, that sounds bit. great. Hey, Nate. Hey, Ryan. This is Tim Van Lanningham. Uh, hearing you guys announce that you're going to do Thanksgiving by watching uh, That Thing You Do, I am thrilled about that. There's a lot about that movie that I really enjoy, which I got to admit, I'm a little hesitant to to tell you that because you kind of crushed my love of the movie Elf, which I just listened to that episode from a few years ago. And uh, thanks for explaining to me why I shouldn't like that movie. I appreciate that. I was thinking about, like, what what is it about That Thing You Do that I've, I've just really always liked that movie. And I was thinking, like, why do I like that movie so much? Like, what is it? Because there's there's parts of it that are a little hokey. I think the ending is kind of weak. But I still still think fondly about it. And what what maybe it kind of comes back to is I play music. I've been in bands. And, in fact, I've been in bands, you know, with Ryan, uh, two of them, two of the the greatest bands ever. And, and Nate, obviously, I know you've been in bands. I mean, I, I went to high school. I loved seeing you with Ami. And I was in a band with Jesse, your younger brother. Terrible band. <laughs> but it was, it was my first experience. So anyways, I, my point is, like, I think part of what I like about movies about bands is that you get to see sort of, like, the humanity and the relationships and the things that these bandmates share, you know, these, these things that they have in common and how the ups and downs of whatever the story might be, you know, how, how the band is, it's an interesting dynamic, I guess I'm trying to say. And so I'm, I'm curious about what with your experience as musicians and being in bands, if that has any bearing on how you uh, kind of react to the film. And, uh, and if that, you think, has influenced the way you feel about it um, or not. 
love the movie. I'm excited to hear the episode, guys. Keep it up. And, uh, yeah, keep having fun. Thanks, guys. Bye. So thank you, Tim, for those thoughts. Great, we, yeah. Uh, like Tim said, he, he and I were in a couple bands. Like he said, two two of the best. This, this is so we've had Brad on for our Hamilton episode, and he was he was a drummer <laughs> in my first. This really band. just turned into let's this bring Ryan's like, yeah. old bandmates into the yeah. podcast. See if anybody can dig up anything that we ever recorded uh, for the band with Brad. It would have to be on cassette. <laughs> Titus, if you're listening, you're next. <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, so Tim, Tim and I were in a couple bands together. He was in a band with my brother very briefly. Oh, yeah. Uh, that he mentioned. But I think he's so correct mm-hmm. in saying that part of what I love about this movie is I think it really gets a lot about what it's like to be in a band Yeah. Um, in a way that, that doesn't make you look back at it as a bad experience. Like It, right. it really highlights what was great about being in it, a band. It, that's you know? the thing. It shows you how silly it all is, but also <laughs> exactly. how great it is yes and you know for me and for you and your band sure the tv shows were tough the the massive tour was tough <laughs> right the fancy hotel the drugs always got in the way you know for people for, yeah for, for some, some. People. not for me not for me either but but and not yeah. for tim but for you know meeting your idol and, and like what it is to meet and then collaborate with your musical right, idols right, and that's yeah. the, but but we're not going to talk about that no, part no, no. Uh, so much we're going to dial it down just a little bit focus bring, bring on the part where you're just yeah. like a pathetic band in a garage yes. trying to f- play and i just at every moment in their early early time as a band it's like yep that's exactly what it's like so much the awkward meetings where you're trying to figure out a band name and everybody's idea is stupid yep and one person really wants to commit to like figuring out a name more than other people at the table like the first time we see the band is when they're trying to come up with a band name <laughs> but i thought you already decided on the echoes no nah, some band in buffalo's the echoes and it was wild about that oh let's just call us the band you're about to hear how about the corvettes is that the corvettes or the corvettes no, Corvettes, like the car. Well, see, I was thinking like the cord. Cordvets. Like chords in our music. For some reason, specifically coming up with a band name is one of the yes. hardest conversations. Because you've got an idea that sounds good in your head, and just as you go to say it, you're like, this is dumb. And I feel like what they could have done more of is people saying like, now, like not this, but something like, right. and then you say like a band name that you you think is like good. And Jimmy's sort of the one who's doing that because he's like the herdsman, the herd, H E A R. Like he's yeah. really he he's really trying. wants to he's, do that spelling he, yes. thing, that yeah. thing that's going to get he's, it. He's, he's got that figured out. This is definitely got to be a characteristic of this, you right? Know? And I think it helps that so so they didn't they didn't record these songs, but they did. Pl- they learned how to play they their played instruments. They played them, yeah. They all, but they also like learned how to play their instruments. Yeah, it wasn't, you can see, and you can see it. You totally can. And I, and this is something as a musician that yep. is, I can't help but look, and I can tell you right away. And I wouldn't say it necessarily always pulls me out of it, right? But I can tell you right away that person knows how to play guitar. That person doesn't know how to play yep. guitar. And what I love about this movie is you see the prog- the very natural progression of them looking like people who don't really know how to play very well, mm-hmm. but can play. Mm-hmm. And as the movie goes on, they look like they know how to play right. better, you know? Now, and, now, except for Tom Everett Scott, who always kind of looks like he knows what he's doing, which is crazy because he's not really a drummer. Yeah. Like, I think I was reading he played trumpet oh, and really? guitar. Never played drums in his life. Wow. Yeah, they hired a person, I forget who he was, to basically train them how to play their instruments, but just train them how to play these songs. Yeah, sure. And, and Well, Steve Zahn can play guitar. He's a guitar. He I'm, plays and sings, but... 
And, uh, and and also, um, Ethan Embry had played bass in some punk bands before. Okay. Him. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Like Empire Records. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so he knew a little bit of bass. But I feel like if you wa- if you are a musician and you watch this movie, and, and mm-hmm. that clip we played at the beginning of them at the dance hall, it is just, it sounds like a band trying to find itself. Yep. It, it's insane how, like, in such a succinct short movie they can capture that so well of a band really trying to find itself because mm-hmm. in so many of these music movies you either get dropped into where the band is already great or you go to where like you have a great musician and yeah. he finds other musicians who are already great on their instrument and yes. it, yeah it does take them time to yeah. figure out how to gel as a band right. but they're already like great these are people who like the idea of being in a band yes. before they were good at their instruments yes and you yeah. watch them is- get good you yeah. know, and 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 little things like to where their ins- their actual instruments they themselves are pieces of junk at right. the beginning. Yep. And by the end, they're playing the Fenders, they get the Rickenbacker, and the, yeah, the, Rickenbackers and they, yeah, and the, the yeah. Jaguar, <laughs> and the 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 P bass, and like yeah, like the the those were especially like those were the '60s instruments. Yes. Those were the ones that yeah. rock bands played in the '60s. Well, even just getting like the personalities within it, like I think we've all played in a band with an overeager drummer. <laughs> who like yeah. for for one reason or another felt like hey i don't like sitting back here you guys are out front i'm going to do something to put myself out front yeah. and like jimmy kind of feeling like that's what was happening not knowing that like this is better for the song but mm-hmm. just feel like and so he's fighting him on the tempo yeah. in that early thing and 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 i have to this is this is me being uh uh brutally honest i i think i find myself more than anyone in the Jimmy character yeah. because I've always thought of myself as the creative. Mm-hmm. And and also in the bands I was in, you were. I tended to write most of the music. Yeah. So I totally knew what it felt like yeah. to have a vision in somebody your mind of a song and somebody be like, I think it should sound like this and mm-hmm. being like, Ugh. and then for diplomacy being like, I guess we'll try it. Try it, yeah. And then, like, it, it taking like two or three practices for me to eventually come around and be like, I think you were right all along. Yeah. The song sounds a lot better like well, that. And then know? the bass player being irrelevant. <laughs> like, the bass player was like, it felt like so often the bass player is the person who was the worst at guitar and became the, the bass player. Yeah, yeah. And the, to the, to the, like, extending that joke to the fact that they never give the bass player a name. He's the bass player. In yeah. IMDB, he's the bass player. He's the bass player. player. <laughs> and in the end, uh, when they do the epilogue, they, 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 and they talk about like where each person went, they, they call him TB player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They just get the dynamic of that kind of band that yeah. like, You've got people who really love music and people who just really want to be in a band yep. and people who like hanging out with you. And, and there's people who think it's it the better part of being in a band is the part where you're on the stage and you get mm-hmm. to have that jolt of like yep. all the people loving you. And then there's the people who just want to get in the studio and make a record. I was always that person. Yeah. Like I could kind of take or leave yeah. playing the show. And I like being in the show. But it seemed like everybody else in the band really wanted to do the show, you know? And yeah. so I just, I, I don't know that I've, I've seen a lot of music movies and some, some, some do hit on every bit that we're kind of talking about but this does it in such a fun light way because if you think about like for instance if you watch like love and mercy for instance which is a great movie about brian wilson Mm -hmm. um but it it, it's so tense yeah and that's what's that's that's that movie that's that story but this one is able to kind of really help you resonate with what it feels like to be in a band in a way that doesn't make you like cringe and it doesn't make you like 
regret being in a band no. or feel silly about those things it makes that you, you want to go back and be in a band yeah and it makes you almost want to go back into a band acknowledging that and yeah. be like can we just have some fun let's watch you know? first order of business we're watching that thing you do <laughs> and then just stuff like ethan Embry breaking his bass like holding yeah. up the trophy and jumping <laughs> And I like, the- <laughs> and like the way he holds, picks up his bass, like, oh no, I cannot yep. get another one of these. <laughs> Felt so relevant. And then the last thing about that early sort of stuff is Guy's nonstop energy after the show, like where he's just rehashing every yeah. moment of the performance. <laughs> and they were up there for five minutes, and he's just going over yeah. it with his girlfriend, who couldn't care less. But he's just so excited and that energy that yeah. you feel after just some dinky, dumb show that you play. Right, right. Like, I never had a show go as well as theirs did. And I always had that sort of like, let's talk about this. Yeah, and well, like, and then when you did that, and you did, yeah, yeah man. Oh, my oh, gosh, God, yeah, you, I didn't think I yeah. was going <laughs> to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the recap. The recap after the show was yeah. always great. And then Liv Tyler as the band girlfriend. Yes. I want to talk about Liv Tyler more yeah. later. But just like her walking around the practice singing and then sitting at the show and singing like that is the perfect depiction of like the the, the lead singer's girlfriend yeah and then of course so where where my experience with music uh diverts from the movie is people hearing it people listening to the music <laughs> and and so that scene though where they first hear it on the radio with drive faster wjet hit time 10 minutes past the hour hey something new a local eerie band's got a new record out just won the mercyhurst talent show a couple of weeks ago this is eerie's own yeah oh that's that's a classic scene it's so infectious and i love the way he shot it of uh, tracking with Mm -hmm. faye running down the street and i love that it's faye who hears it first it's just such a great image and then like dancing in the 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 appliance store and like i i don't know i just loved it i fi- i wasn't tearing up but i was like feeling emotion yeah. welling in me during that yeah scene. and it and it just builds and it builds and it builds and you just that infectious is right it's just something that really is becomes infectious you're just so excited for them yeah I was reading that during that shot, Tom Hanks was like, now I really do want you to all hold hands in a circle and jump up and down and, and spin around in a circle. And they were like, what? <laughs> like, like, so he had this vision that he yeah. knew it would pull off. It's, and he knew like, where to put I, the camera. Like he talks be... about like, I'm going to shoot it from up here. It's not going to look the way you think it will look. And yeah. like he knew where to put the camera because, yeah, on paper, that scene could and have then, been really bad. And then they bad, hold hands you know? and jumping around in a circle. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but then, and, and, and this is where we... We probably got to get into Steve's on because oh, yeah. I just love the the, the, the cardboard the cardboard cutout. cutout, but also just the like the the spontaneity of it almost tipping over yeah. and him grabbing it and kissing it. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Like that's something that I think was just caught in that one shot. And right. He just he just I mean he just embodies this character in yeah. a way that's so great. And I've always loved Steve Zahn. Uh-huh. Um, always. And when I found out he was in White Lotus, I was yeah. like, oh, I love this show now. <laughs> like yeah. I just love even like a movie that's. Pretty lousy, like Saving Silverman. Yeah. Steve Zahn's just He's great. Or like, I remember like even, this is going way back, he was in a movie with Drew Barrymore called uh, Driving in Cars with Boys. And and 
I don't know that it was that great of a movie. I'd hardly remember it, but I remember Steve Zahn. Like yeah. Steve Zahn was great, and that was a more dramatic role for him. You know, he, it's crazy. And Treme, um, he's great in Treme. Oh, yeah, he's somebody who keeps showing up. He's always good. Always good. In no matter what the, the material is, like I said, Saving Silverman's not a great movie. No. Well, I, don't, I think it's pretty funny, it's, but you're it right. It's not funny, a great movie, but it's so strange because he knows exactly what to bring. And so he he definitely like goes in a direction during Saving Silverman that he doesn't in White Lotus, but he's also always bringing he's always this same on. sort of energy, yeah, right, yeah. And it's interesting that he's in that, that like Jack Black is the other person in Saving Silverman because I don't think Jack Black is always appropriate to the material with right. his Jack Black energy, but like could like could Jack Black be in uh, that thing you do? Like if you replaced him with Steve, Steve Zahn with Jack Black, it would be like now without him trying to kind of without steal him stealing it, be, like it, it being in a, a Jack way that Black doesn't movie. really work. Yeah. like Steve Zahn somehow it's not a Steve is, Zahn movie. No, but he really is to key the point to that, that I had forgotten he was in it. Yeah, and then I was like, oh, that's right. And then when I was watching it, I'm like, man, he's killing it. Yeah, I mean, I he's he is so funny in the movie. I even wrote in my notes. I'm like, I love Steve Zahn. He can play Go Fish funny. Yes. <laughs> Like, he knows how to play That's cards right. funny. Yes, sir. I play a lot of cards. Obviously. Want to see my deck? See? You got to be quick. You got to be quick with me. I'm from Erie, PA. He's the perfect counterpoint to Jimmy. And in a way that with a different actor, it could be too much. Yeah. He's just perfect at it. Like, in that interview at the State Fair... <laughs> where like Jimmy's being so serious about this and he's just like, I've got a pig in competition <laughs> and like, he's just so funny. He is. And I've, and he's that, he's the guy in the band that just wants to have a good time. Yeah. And he doesn't make that an annoying thing. Right. He makes it a very understandable thing actually. Right. Like he might have some great perspective on this. Like, because you can you know, see how Jimmy's making it a drag. Right. And he's the other one in the band who gets the tempo. He gets why, why exactly. guy's doing that. Yeah. He, Cause he it's speed, fun. He he's speeds up fun. his riff. Yeah. He, he comes in with the chord at the right time and he's fighting Jimmy. Like he's in, he, in the twinkle in his eye when he comes in on the correct beat with the, with the, the echo. Yeah, yeah. When Jimmy's trying to keep it slowed down, he's just like, he's not like a menace in his chaos. He's somebody who's like, we can be having fun with this and I'm going to show you how. He's great. Now, I will say, I think that what the movie does with his character at the end, where he goes and marries someone off in Vegas, I, I this a little it's lazy. a little, yeah, a little lazy. But well, what else um, are you gonna do? I little, mean, a little off the rails, a little bit. I, you but, know, you know. But to to make, I think it would have been a mistake to make him anything other than somebody dismissive of the drama at the end. I, I think he's invested in the band, but he he was not going to stick around for any of the yeah, drama. Yeah, and so it makes sense. And you know what's what's a worse idea than you know running off to Vegas? Right, you got to keep the movie like, light. The movie's yeah. got to stay light. Well, and that's the other thing about is is like he's just a guy who wants to have fun, and he's still just always like nice. Yeah, you know, like right. he's you're right. He kind of just sort of like avoids conflict for the most part. Like even with Faye and everything, mm-hmm. you know, he's not the guy who's putting the blanket on or on the airplane or yeah, anything right. like that. He's doing his own thing. He's, he's involved in himself basically, but in yeah. a way that's like still so still likable, yeah. you know, really endearing. Whereas other people could play it as like a real disruptor. He's just not like, you can see why his jokes would be annoying sometimes, like just not the right time. But most of the time he's just, yeah. Well, and the other thing that's like, I th- always think is funny. He's, he's always the guy who 
never even thinks to think twice about how the industry could be screwing him. He's yeah. always just kind of like, where do I sign? I'm going to sign up for right. all you guys. Yeah, you know? there's, <laughs> there's a man in a very nice camper. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's the <laughs> that's yeah. record deal. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, even when they're doing like the really crappy movie set or whatever, like he's just having just a good time fun. with that. Yeah. yeah, He's not questioning whether this was the right move or the wrong move. It's just what they're doing. Right. You know? What did you think of Tom Everett Scott as kind of the the lead of the movie, if, if there were to be one, as as kind of... Uh, what, about Guy's character? Yeah, I think he made a lot of sense. You know, I think he was well cast. There were ways in which the character itself, and I don't know if this was uh, because of maybe stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor or of how it was written. It could have been kind of thin in some mm-hmm. places, but there was something about his demeanor, his face, everything that was able to pull it off still, mm-hmm. I think. Like an example would be like, I don't know that the movie fleshed out fully this this push and pull between him like needing to be sort of like at his dad's store Mm-hmm. And then also wanting to be in a band. Sometimes it was hard to tell if he was wanting to be in the band for artistic reasons or if it was more just for like um, a, a way to get out, a way to have fun. Well, way, and you know, yeah, because a way he, to make some money. At the beginning, you know, he said like one show. Yeah. Like he didn't. Uh, yeah, he didn't. He didn't seem very driven, really. And then all of a sudden, he just is. Okay? Yeah. And maybe that's true to life. You know, you get a little bit of success, and you all of a sudden are like, "Oh, I do want to right. do this." And you know, you, you could fill in like he didn't want to be in their band because he had higher ambi- like he had higher artistic ambitions. But then once it worked, he was like, "This is fun. This is fine." Yeah, and that's that's true to that character. Like I would believe that if yeah. they had, even if they fleshed it out some more, I would be like, "Yeah, okay, that's fine." Like I believe him to be somebody who enjoys, yeah, playing yeah. well enough. Also, you know, I think the movie, like just as it's written doesn't have a very smooth arc to him kind of falling for Faye. But I think that he pulls it off. He's got this sort of sensitivity to him, I guess is maybe yeah. the right word. There's a sensitivity to him in the casting of him that you don't need to have all the blanks filled in for that. Yeah, you know? and I think Faye is probably the most sensitive character in the movie. And I definitely want to talk more about Liv Tyler. But I think that there's also an obliviousness to Guy. Like there's a, Musically, he's very tuned in. But with people, he's not always so tuned in. Right. And I think that there was that, what was the word you used to describe the sensitivity yeah. that he always had? And he didn't, he was just oblivious to the fact that he and they were on the same, same wavelength because he was just focused on other things. But once it became apparent to him, it was like, oh yeah, of course. And I think as an audience, we kind of see it earlier than he does. He's quirky. Yeah. He's kind of a quirky character. You yeah. know, um, he doesn't always uh, act the way that you would expect him to because you know the way that mr white kind of picks him to put the shades on and kind of be like the cool Mm -hmm. the cool person he doesn't always wear that very well he's just still kind of a goofy quirky character he kind of maintains some of that to the point where when he's at the jazz club that's actually some of my favorite scenes of him is when he's at the jazz club because he just geeks out but he's also when he's just watching that jazz band play him being into it is almost a physical performance. Like, I don't know if you noticed, mm-hmm. but it's like his lip quivers mm-hmm. with the snare when the snare's like mm-hmm. rolling really well. It's like his lip quivers with yeah. it. He's just so excited about hearing these drums, yeah. you know? And just how like nervous he is to meet his idol. Well, you know? and it's also like funny, sort of like, I don't know if Oblivion is playing into this, but just like his obliviousness to don't get super drunk when you're about to meet your idol. Yeah. <laughs> Del Paxton, who are you? I'm Guy Patterson. I'm from Erie, Pennsylvania. I'm in a band called The Wonders, and we're we just got a record. We're out here on the coast, and I play the drums, and I have all your records. Well, not all of them, but a lot of them. 
but uh, at least I did until some of them got swiped when I was stationed in Germany and you were playing in Germany the, the, at the time that I was stationed there. But you know what, I couldn't see you because you were playing in Hamburg and I was stationed in Munich. But I listened to your records and I think you're great. You are my biggest fan. Thanks. I'll have another Hennessy. Uh, Hennessy for Del Paxton. He plays that drunk scene so well. Somebody trying to not be drunk. (laughs) But like in a lot of other movies, when you get to that point in the band's career where you're wearing the shades and Mm -hmm. you've got the chart-topping single and then you... The personality changes. The personality changes. But he does not make that assumption. Right. He never makes that assumption when he meets his idol. And he doesn't assume that everyone knows who he is. That's not... Like, so that sort of egotism is not why he kind of makes a fool of himself in front of Dell. It's the fact that he just got drunk. Right. And he was nervous. Right. Yeah, I... I, I, uh, I liked him, and I kind of was like, you know, I'm surprised. I don't know. I'm surprised I haven't seen him in more over the he's, years. He's worked know? steadily, but yeah, he yeah. never became like a big star. Right. The other performance that I really saw differently this time, I think, uh, was Liv Tyler's performance. This time around, I saw her as a, I thought, amazing performer. I feel like she brought a real, like, natural way of performing that contrasts with everybody in the movie yeah that makes her really stand out and i think that's really smart whether it was her Mm -hmm. that decided to play it that way or tom hanks direction or whatever i don't know but where i find she has a very hard tightrope to walk as Mm -hmm. the band's girlfriend Mm -hmm. is you know if she doesn't play it a little differently than everybody else um it can be very easy for her to become a Mm one-dimensional the 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 one-dimensional female character in this movie and it never really turns into that. She doesn't ever become like the Yoko. Right. Okay. Right. Um, and I don't exactly. want to speak disparagingly of Yoko because right. I know that's, but I just know yeah. that that's a thing. Okay. The, the like trope. That's a, the trope. The girlfriend who gets in between the, the band. The band. Yeah. And, and that's not her in uh-huh. this movie. Now that's, that's in the writing, but it's also in her performance that you kind of are like, she's never going to become that. You know, the way she's playing it. She's a, she's a genuine fan who loves everybody in this band. And even know? as she's pushed to the side, she's never weak. Yeah. She's her own person who genuinely likes the band and likes being a part of things and helping them, but isn't just marginalized. And I, I don't know, this time, like her speech to Jimmy, which is very brief, I, it's always stuck with me. From now on, you stay away from me. I have wasted thousands and thousands of kisses on you kisses that I thought were special because of your your lips and your smile and all your color in life. I used to think that was the real you when you smiled. But now I know that you don't mean any of it. You just save it for all your songs. Shame on me for kissing you with my eyes closed so tight. I thought that that was such a beautifully emotional moment, which is a culmination of her character. She's known this all along, but she has faith in people. She had faith in Jimmy Mm. that like there was something going on that was keeping him from being the the man she deserved. But that moment isn't the moment she realizes it. It's the moment that she's like, I can't, I can't wait for that moment to come anymore because it's never happened. I, I just really love that performance in that moment. Yeah. I think it's a good counterpoint to Jimmy's cold heartedness. 
Because there is a, a way that Jimmy's turn in that scene is is strange. It's abrupt. Right. But I think that scene ends up working because of the way that Liv Tyler plays that. Because she's not surprised by it. So if if she were surprised by it, I think it would be like, oh yeah, that did come out of nowhere. But instead she sees it and she's basically like, I knew this was going to happen. Yeah. It's her way of saying, I should have left you in Pittsburgh. No, I really liked her in this movie. And I also like what the movie does with her. Like, I like the fact that none of the band minds that she's with them. Right. She's just a big fan at first. Um, but even um, Mr. White gives her a job. Yeah. But he doesn't really mind that she's there. Right. And he actually feels more for her when Jimmy. Oh, like, yeah. yeah that, you know? Well, I mean, that's another, I, I think that, I think that, that kind of cap on that scene that keeps Jimmy's turn ground, er, grounded that keeps the potential melodrama of it under control is a really great closing line to the scene when Jimmy said, who told him I was engaged? And he said, the same person who said you had class. Yeah, and to me, that is something that takes this movie in directions that you wouldn't foresee because this is supposed to be the guy that's just all about the money. Mm -hmm. So he should, really, he should, as the you know sleazy manager that we've all seen, yeah. be like, well, good riddance to her. Let's go make that record. Yeah, you know, or like, like try to tell him how he has to play this for image management. Yeah. But instead, he... He did do that for a you know cynical business reason, but then he also saw that there was a, there were humans that were affected yeah, by that. Yeah, yeah, that's I mean just through and through there is a kindness to this movie. Yeah, um, which I think that in this day and age, just making a kind movie, yeah, would kind of be like, why would you want to do that? Yeah. <laughs> Get real. But you know, even the drummer that broke his arm. Yeah. And missed out on everything. Yeah. Is actually happy for that. Well, even so, this is another thing that sets it apart from so many other music biopics is there is nothing positive for them where they came from, right? Yeah. But instead, in this movie, the dad, who was the source of tension before, he is loving watching his son on TV. Yeah. Yeah. And there was nothing about him earlier that makes that an unrealistic expectation. Right. It just, it adds to the infectiousness of their rise. Exactly. My point about this whole movie being charitable to every single character is that even though Jimmy's a jerk, he is not wrong. Mm -hmm. He knows what's happening. He knows that Mr. White sees him as a one-hit wonder. Mm -hmm. He just wants to go make a second record. He feels that Mr. White doesn't care about this. Mm -hmm. He feels that half his band doesn't care about this. Mm -hmm. And I think he sees that, you know? And uh, he's not necessarily wrong for just wanting to make more music. Right. <laughs> um, and so you totally get why he would also get fed up and leave. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, he is a jerk and he takes it on his girlfriend and all that stuff. And he does let things get to his head. Yeah. But like, you know, Tom Hanks, original, <laughs> Tom, like Tom Hanks, original goal for the movie, there are no bad guys. Right. Like Jimmy's not a total bad guy in this right. movie. It's sort of like a movie that knows its place in history, in film history and music history. Like yeah. it kind of understands, like, I'm not trying to be another Spinal Tap. I'm not trying to be another like Forrest Gump even like right, I'm right. not trying to take us back to the sixties in that way. And I, I think maybe one way in which that thing you do actually ages better now than maybe when it even came out in 96 is that the music industry right now, you know, in a lot of ways it's kind of floundering. Sure. Bands right now don't really know how to be anything other than a one hit wonder. Yeah. Because I think now the idea of a musician trying to make it by whatever means, whether that's selling your song to Starbucks, whether that's, you know, um, 
you know, uh, getting into some TV commercials or getting yourself onto like a good, you know, a good soundtrack for a Netflix series or whatever, you know, like the means of becoming a professional musician right now are so different. The music industry is so unsure of itself that there is no virtuous tale for how to be a band. And that thing you do kind of slides right in there with that, where it isn't even really sure of what the right thing to do to be a band is. Is it about chasing after your art? Is it about kind of just taking opportunity when it comes? And ultimately it's like this band uh, did end up becoming just a one hit wonder, but that's okay. And well, I mean, it would be interesting. We we talked in the end of last episode about Adam Schlesinger. Um, he died last year from COVID. Um, but he himself was a literal one-hit wonder with Fountains, Fountains of Wayne with, with like Stacy's mom. mom. Yeah, although it wasn't their first thing. Like they had a, had a couple albums right, before right. the one that came uh, that that song came out on. Um, but also writing that thing you do was like a sellout possibility for yeah. him. Um, and to to know like he he had a career after. Fountains of Wayne after that thing you do after Stacy's mom, even though he'll be known for Stacy's mom, he went and he wrote music for TV and movies yep. like uh, Crazy was, Ex-Girlfriend. Right. Um, um, he wrote a lot of like songs that you would hear on SNL skits right. and things like that. The life that you think uh, of a successful musician looks very different. Well, and then so isn't this movie exactly right when you have Del Paxton, the advice he gives Guy is bands come and bands go. Mm-hmm. And basically is telling him, if you want to be a musician, just keep playing. Yeah, And maybe that thing you do didn't even realize it was living in maybe the last era of One Hit Wonders, that 90s era. I, I mean, we, we kind of grew up in that 90s radio era. Yeah. I think there's a... I think the thing that's different between then and now is that a One Hit Wonder, like the idea of a nationwide One Hit Wonder is gone. Yeah. And it's almost like we've reverted in a way because back then in the 60s, radio markets were tiny and they were isolated. They would hear from other radio markets, but there was nobody putting out an album nationally. Like, I mean, that the album was released nationally, but a single had to play in different markets. And now we don't have that where we've got regional markets, but we have internet markets. Right. And if you aren't a part of, if you aren't on SoundCloud and that's not your scene, you are not going to listen to something that could blow up and get millions of listens on SoundCloud. You might get something from Bandcamp or you might get something from these other niches or you might get something from the algorithm of Spotify Right, that's going to seem like, oh, I hear that song all the time. It comes up on Spotify constantly. But that's just your algorithm. It's it's like everybody's their own regional market. Yeah. There is no way a song is going to get huge yeah, without and- the quote unquote selling out, without it being in a movie, without it being part of a TV show or, uh, you know, some live performance that goes viral or something. And that was something that I will say I had a little tinge of melancholy watching this movie. Sure. Because it's fun to have huge cultural moments. Yeah. And I mean, we had that experience, you know, in when we were in high school and junior high, like we all knew what we were listening to. Right. And we would all get excited about the same songs. And um, it just doesn't happen right. anymore. And that I think that is something that's lost. And I think that that is something that this movie captures really well. Mm-hmm. But also, I don't think we're ever going to necessarily get back to that, um, no. or at least not anytime soon. You know? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what would get us back to that. Um, but it, but to me, it's interesting that when it was made, even in '96, we were still kind of in the thick of that. Yeah. Maybe the last without gasp even of realizing it. Yeah, it. yeah, without even realizing it. So you know, speaking of music, maybe we should just talk a little bit more uh, specifically about like 
the music and how the yeah. music really had to pull this movie off. Like, you know, yeah. the, and, and if it wasn't a good song, I, doesn't that seem like the most impossible task? Yeah. Like you have to write a song that believably could be a huge hit 30 but, years ago, but could also be a believably hit, huge hit amidst Beatles songs. Right. Like you've got to write a, basically a song that's as good as a Beatles song. Right. And you've got to also make it one that's we can get these guys who don't really know how to play their instruments believably to play. Right. So you can't make it too complicated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine the task. And I think it was like kind of like it was like a contest, right? Like yes. Well, not, I don't know if it was a contest, but it was something that it was a tryout. Like you, like yeah, so sure. many, like anybody could submit a demo tape or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I also want to mention I don't think Schlesinger wrote this song. I don't know who wrote the song, but the Diane Dane song, mm. "My World Is Over." I love that song. Yeah. And how it plays in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's that's an ache of a song. It reminds me of like, well, so one of my one of my favorite albums is Dusty Springfield's Dusty in Memphis. This just evokes that so well, and you know it's a typical breakup song. Yeah, uh, but it's just perfect. You know, like your world's moved on, but my world is over. I just love it. Yeah, I love that even, song. It's you know? even like got the sort of '60s music wordplay, like yeah. that sort of syntax and, and and structure of writing. I know when I was a kid, I didn't realize these weren't real songs. Yeah, because it sound it was just so. Absolutely perfect. They nail it. The Chanterlines, the sort of like, yeah. uh, you know, Motown type group or yeah. like Supremes kind of group is, yep. uh, is they nail that one too. Yeah. Um, when you hold my hand, hold, you hold my heart. Hold my hand, hold my heart. Yeah. I don't know why it doesn't get held up by like, is it, is it because it wasn't Forrest Gump and Toy Story and Philadelphia? Like it wasn't, it, it never set out to be more than what it is. Is it just because it is lighthearted and fun that there's nothing more that people like will will attribute it to having as far as legacy? I think you know part of it could be that um, we still don't really think of Tom Hanks as a director mm. and a writer. You know, almost famous as a Cameron Crowe movie. Right. This is Spinal Tap is a Rob Reiner film. Right. You know, um, and I, I just don't know that Tom Hanks ever wanted to get that auteur status i don't think yeah. he really feels like he needs it but like i don't think we necessarily think of like oh that's a tom hanks movie yeah Ooh, yeah well, you know you think of like other actors who've, who've directed like george clooney did uh confessions of a dangerous mind good like night something, and good luck um, yeah but i think confessions of a dangerous mind was yeah. the first movie he directed they kind of come out of the gate with like a statement right right that's true artistic yeah. statement yeah. And this tom, is what i want to say hanks yeah. was not making an, a quote-unquote artistic statement but everything we're describing about it are brilliant and adept artistic choices yeah i i, I, could, I genuinely think it's because it's fun well i think you could be right it could also be that the ending is fairly weak and sure. pretty pat <laughs> <laughs> and it ends in a way that like you know it's like can't hardly wait ended you got a lot of uh postscripts and you yeah. know um epilogues and yeah i think it's in um, ethan embry's contract is he in that movie he is right yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think oh, yeah, that's true like the main guy. Yeah, yeah it's ethan embry's like if people don't know what happens to my character after the movie i'm I, not I interested in i won't movie. do it yeah well as we're talking about it i i feel like i can't really find a fault in it even though the ending is cheesy i i i'm like 
it earned a cheesy ending. Like, what's it going to do <laughs> other than that? And well, it earned it, a cheesy in a good ending. way. Yeah, it, in a good way. I mean, what else is it? What else do I want it to do? Well, how about this? I'll, I'll I'll just give you a quote from the Hanks himself. Oh, of course. This is from that oral history again. Whenever we're confused, just head to the Hanks. This is the Hanks. This is what he says, and I think it's as you would expect, uh, pitch perfect. Mm. He says, "Quote: I wanted to create a joyful sound and provide a joyful movie that carried more authenticity than simply nostalgia for the era." Yeah, I wanted the audience to say, "That looks like fun." I think we succeeded. Can you? I, I can think you, he absolutely did too. Can you? I mean, and and maybe that's just that was his aspiration, and that's for you know, and like us, everything he does, he did it. He did it, and and to our society's discredit, we can't seem to appreciate that enough. Right. Somebody could see that maybe as sanding off the edges, mm-hmm. but I also think that like sometimes the joyful thing is also true to life. Right. Like it's not fake because it's joyful. Right. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you're nailing it. And I think that's also just who Tom Hanks is. And the fact that he has survived as that yeah. is one of the more remarkable things. So Eva I I so maybe we've alluded to the fact that we think this movie has some flaws, but we haven't those flaws haven't felt especially substantial oh, as we're well, talking about them. So yeah, what, but what are you seeing? We haven't even talked about Tina. And it's yeah. because that character is completely useless. And yeah. I don't even think that the movie cares that much about that character because Guy doesn't seem to really have that much of a problem getting right over her. <laughs> well, know? that's where I feel like his sort of obliviousness. <laughs> he he was like, oh, that wasn't going This well? is the Charlize Theron character. Right. And from what I read, this was a lot of what got cut out. Okay. There was more of a progression to that of like her kind of like seeming more and more and more tuned out as they were on the road. I feel like what happened was they filmed a lot of that stuff and then they didn't know how to cut it out without still keeping it in. Yeah. And so you just have this really sort of underserved Charlize Theron character that didn't even need to be in the movie at all. I don't really feel like, because there was enough tension with Guy, with his dad and his family. Like he didn't need to have a girl too. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what, you don't really get a sense of of why they're together in the first place. I think it is funny though that the the, the two women in the movie are Tina Fey. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Wow, I mean, it just knows so, so much. Tom Hanks so knew. Precious. Tom Hanks knew this. It looked, he knew it. It looked yeah. back with such clarity, and it looked <laughs> forward with such clarity. Anyway, so that to me, that was a little bit of a weak spot. The other kind of um, weak spot to me was really getting a sense of like where these guys were in their lives, as far as like were they just out of high school? How much life had they lived yeah. before all this? I, there was a moment where where guy talks about being deployed somewhere, and I was like, "Whoa, where did that come from?" Yeah, you know, like you were you were like in the army, was at, he in Korea, because that was a, that wasn't in the sixties. And he said he was deployed in Germany, right? Oh, yeah, because he that's where I he mean, talked. He a, met all these jazz guys, like but, army bases. Yeah, there. these are just like sort of examples where I feel like it's more maybe in the editing. It, there are parts narrative wise that I felt were a little clunky. Yeah, not enough to tear me away from the movie. Yeah. But maybe not a five star movie. You well, know what I mean? Sure. Like, yeah, you know. I can understand that. But how about you? I mean, were there anything? Anything? I, I don't want to end on a low note. Necessarily, no, yeah. But no, I'm, you know, I, we do have to kind of be fair to sure. why not a five star movie? I you can know? see that. It's just, yeah, I just hadn't really ever. I, I guess if you really want to think about why Tina exists in the movie, it's it's hard to say. Other than I think he was living a life that wasn't a life that he and cared that was just about. part of it. Yeah, right. But also, he he just didn't really seem to be aware that it was falling apart that she didn't like him, which just feels very true to his character. <laughs> that he would just be oblivious to yeah. it. Yeah. 
I don't know if I'm just making excuses, but that's ways that it can it can still work. Yeah. And why I think it doesn't like even pull me out for a little bit. But I I don't know. I mean, I don't know about you. So uh, like yeah, I uh, I don't think it's ending on a on a low note. Like it, it's low for a T Thanksgiving movie where we're usually <laughs> right. like so um enamored well we were just we were almost transcendent and we kind of had to bring it back down to earth we yeah we we did i mean just like a a thanksgiving meal you're in euphoria until you realize i didn't need that extra plate yes and i'm gonna yep i'm feeling it now but it doesn't ruin the feast but still great thanksgiving yeah and this was a great tea thanksgiving i think so too does your does your rating move at all now I'm keeping four stars, which is to me that's a that's a really solid, more than solid. That's a great movie, you know. Yeah. Um, well, I'll say this: I'm I'm thinking of moving. Thinking of moving. Well, you have a lot more experience with, and this that's than what I, I think. Which is I happening. don't have. I think. So. I think. I think I'm going to move it to four and a half. You should. just because I, see, I think you I had. I had way more fun watching it again than I thought I would. That that half star to me should be the. I was worried about watching it again after so many years, and it ended it up actually delighting up. me. Yeah, half star more. Not only held yeah. up, but I, as as like a more cultured film watcher, if I can call myself <laughs> that, I it, like it's our this, podcast. This you movie, can call yourself has, that. <laughs> this movie has so much more going for it on the technical level and yeah. the craftsmanship level that it. Uh, I think it's great. I yeah. think this is a great movie, and we should all have at least one Steve Zahn movie that's got that's four, four and a half, half stars. In there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I hope our listeners got a sliver of the joy we yeah. had talking about that thing you do yeah. uh, for this tea Thanksgiving. And once again, huge thanks to Tom yeah. for all that he does and for just being friend of the podcast just because he's a friend of everybody. <laughs> right. He would be. He would if be. If he had heard this podcast, podcast you yeah. know he would be. Yeah. But I, I, yeah, I don't think we can end a tea Thanksgiving episode not Best Buds. No, of course not. It wouldn't be the season. No. So, it is the season. Tis the season still. still. We are still within the seasons of tizzing, yep. um, which started last month. Here at, yeah, here we've at, got, can we still be we've friends? got one more to go. Yeah. One, one more, more one more season one more, to tizz. One more, yeah. <laughs> That's right. We've got our seasons all in a tizzy. <laughs> and so. we've got, yeah, our, our, our annual holiday movie. Holiday not movie. the spook no. holiday spooktacular. Let's not get confused here. This is the holiday the holiday, the other holiday. The December holiday movie. December holiday. So, yeah, we should talk about what we're going to be doing for this uh, last of the trilogy of yeah. seasons. So, for our December episode, episode 99. 99. Yeah, our last in the double digits. Right. This is, yeah, it's getting real. Yeah. I mean, it took 99 episodes to do it, but it's finally getting real. Right. And uh, we're going to stick with the 90s with this one. Yeah. Uh, we're staying in the 90s, which we've done for the whole we're season. Have to get out of, yeah. Yeah, right. sure. That was intentional. <laughs> right. But, you know, this is obviously our holiday, December holiday movie, and so we're going to, going to do a huge hit of a 90s holiday movie. Uh, you could probably maybe, already guess what we're talking about. Maybe after, biggest? after Muppet Christmas Carol, the biggest holiday movie of the 90s. Well, let's All right, be well, this one was a much bigger hit. This is the bigger hit, not the better movie. Well, I guess we don't know. We haven't yeah, rewatched we'll it. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. But come we'll, on. See. we'll see about that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We'll see if it's better than Mother Christmas Carol. <laughs> but, uh, anyways, for those of you who are on pins and needles, uh, we are going to be talking about 1990. John Hughes. Non- oh, there. You just gave it away. John Hughes' 1990 holiday movie. Come on. It's Home Alone. It's Home Alone. With, with Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. And, this uh, is the movie. Catherine O'Hara. Who else? <laughs> 
Joe John, Pesci. John Candy. John Candy. Daniel Stern. Yeah. Uh, Kieran, no Shovel Guy. Kieran Culkin. Kieran Culkin, <laughs> who is huge now, by the way. Very, as, yeah. As we are recording this, he's hosting SNL. Yeah. Would not have pictured that when he was fuller. I don't Probably know. not, no. Uh, but yeah, we are, you know, this is a movie that I think we've batted around doing for years now. Yeah. But it's kind of like, it's too close. You know, like, we, what are we going to say about this movie? Yeah. Like we, we, I, we, I both, mean, I, we both grew up with it. Yep. You know? I will say it seems to be a much bigger presence in your life continually than it is in mine. Oh, okay. All right. Which is fine. I know for me and like so many of my friends around me and my wife, mm-hmm. this is a movie that we can quote any line of. Sure. Not just the big ones, mm-hmm. like any of the most obscure lines from this movie they know exactly what i'm talking about uh and so i'll be doing that yeah so this one might episode. be tough for you to watch in any sort of different way you've seen it maybe every which maybe way. i've seen this is one that i do tend to watch pretty much every year yeah. so i don't know that there's going to be many surprises but we've never talked about it on the podcast no we and haven't listeners have never gotten my great uh yeah. line readings yeah quotes yeah of this movie Whoa. i'm looking forward to doing that a yeah. lot yeah you are too i take it well Hearing me quote Home Alone to you? Yeah. Not not the big lines, like I the guess. small lines too. Yeah, I know. That's what's great about it, uh-huh. is the small lines I get to quote to you. Yeah. Yeah. And to our listeners. Yep. Yep. It'll be fun. I mean, I'm really excited about this one. Yeah. I mean, I was. We'll see. It'll yeah. Be, it'll be fine. Well, again, tis the tis season. Tis the season. Tis the season. And I will, I will, yeah, I will bring my holiday cheer and my enthusiasm and, you know, just like... You're watching a, a, a nephew or niece's mm-hmm. Christmas pageant. You will fake that enthusiasm. That's right. You know? uh, well, you know, you're not going to have to fake it. These are really good. These are really good <laughs> quotes that I'm going to give. That I'm going to deliver in this episode. Yeah, they were. They're really good. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> I haven't even done them yet, and you're already. Yeah, you're well, I have to practice. I yeah, to. get ready. So, Home Alone. Come on, we all know this movie. Listeners, uh, watch it with us, please. Let us know your memories of Home Alone. Yeah. Because this is a movie that I think if you grew up in the 90s, it's kind of unavoidable, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is going to be interesting. This is where the, maybe the, mo- the most tension is going to be in here, is that this is, for me, and, I, and, and if you've listened long enough, we both love Roger Ebert. Right. But this is where he just got it wrong. <laughs> yeah. He didn't he like this it, one. He hated this movie. Yeah. And so we're going to have to talk about that, I think. You might have to settle that score. I mean, good thing I'll have all the quotes I'll be saying yeah, to kind of like lighten can, up the episode a little yeah, bit with my awesome to, deliveries of the yeah, random quotes. To avoid movie. your emotions, you can um, you can instead of when, when when you start getting too too emotional, you can just switch to uh, you know, quoting lines. Poker King of the Midwest, right? Poker, poker. Very cool. Yeah, you're loving it already. I can tell. I can tell you're <laughs> no, loving it. No, I, I yeah. do. I do like Home Alone. Um, I, 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 I don't have problems with it. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. You know. But uh, but we want to hear. We want to hear your thoughts on Home Alone, T. Thanksgiving, that mm-hmm. thing you do episode. Yeah. Previous episodes. We want to hear all of it. And there's a lot of ways you can get in touch with us. Right. Um, you know, you can always uh, email us feedback at canwestillbefriends.net. Mm-hmm. And canwestillbefriends.net is our website. Uh, where we have all of our episodes posted and you can comment on those episodes. You can dig through some archives, 99 episodes worth 99. of archives. Yeah. Facebook, Can We Still Be Friends podcast. Instagram, Can We Still Be Friends pod. Um, and that's it. That's the two <laughs> for now. That's the two. Oh, yeah. For now? Are you planning on a TikTok or something? Oh, I meant like, you know, if we keep those. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, For now, that's we, the two uh, we have. Yeah. 
we're feeling too relevant. <laughs> we need to dial it back. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, yeah, so, but we've got those. And uh, yeah, speaking of relevance, we do have a phone number. Uh, oh, yeah. That you can call us on. Uh, toll eight, free. <laughs> toll free, yeah. That's what makes it relevant, really. We're not charging you a thing. Well, actually, no, long distance does apply. It's not an 800 number. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. Standard messaging and <laughs> data rates do apply. Yeah, that's true. 847 306 9532 is our very relevant, not toll free number. <laughs> <laughs> and if you, I don't even know what toll free means. Uh, and if uh, if you don't like the 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 cutoff that the mailbox gives, you can always just uh, record a voice memo and uh, package that in an email. Send that to us. Feedback at canwesillbefriends.net, like we said. And uh, if you find yourself at a place where you can leave us a rating, go ahead and do that. We that always awesome. appreciate that. Yeah, that's Pass great. Pass this on to friends and family. We hope you have a great tea Thanksgiving and a subsequent Thanksgiving uh, and whatever other holidays you're celebrating in the next couple months. Yeah. Like like tea Hanks would want, just be joyful. Yeah. Yeah. Have some joy right yeah. now. Yeah. Just do that thing you do. Do that thing you do, and we'll catch you next time.